You are listening to Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit gocentralchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. Blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. If you're happy and you know it, say amen. 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 Take your copy of God's Word and turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 is where we're going to be. If this is your first time here this morning at Central, thank you so much. This is my last time here at Central, uh, at least as the pastor. I hope to come and visit very soon. But just know that we love you. The Brumbach family loves you. And we are just excited about what God is going to be doing here in the near future at Central Church. And uh, just on behalf of my family, we want to say that we desperately and, and genuinely love you this morning. When I came to Central, I was a 25-year-old kid, uh, newly married, a um, little less than two years, six-month-old baby. Look at all the hair that I had. I was a kid that had a kid that was pastoring a church. When I came here as your lead pastor, I knew that God clearly called me to be here. And I had no ambition of leaving here. Matter of fact, in the search process, and some of, some of you are still here that were a part of that, I, I remember saying to the committee that I planned on being here until I retired. As a kid, we moved a lot. And one of the things that I always wanted is for my kids to stay in the same place because we moved about every three or four years as a kid. And thankfully... We have been able to raise our kids here, but the truth is God is sovereign. And God has plans for my life and my family and this church that are far greater than we can imagine. As tough as it is to leave, I would rather be in the will of God than out of the will of God. As hard as it is to say this, just as God clearly called me here, I believe with all of my heart that he has clearly called me to First Baptist Church of Naples. In July the 4th, I was really wrestling with what God was doing in my life. The search team was on the very precipice of making a final decision. And I was in my office, and a lot of you, because you're just such an incredible church, just Every Sunday, I come in the little front area of the office, and you leave gifts or different things for me. And so I was uh, just kind of praying about the message. It was before the 930 service, and there was this blue bag that just showed up in the front office, Kentucky blue, unmistakably (laughs) Kentucky blue. No name on it, no name who it's from. Opened inside, and there's this book by A.W. Tozer. Cloud by day, fire by night, how to know and discern God's will for your life. I took that as a sign. Now, I'm not a mystic nor a son of a mystic, but yet I took and I opened the book, and it was about A.W. Tozer when he was leaving his church that he'd been at for a long time in Indianapolis and, and how God used circumstances of his life to lead him to Chicago. And so I opened this book, and I read, and it's 10 minutes before the service, and I'm reading chapter 1 and chapter 2, and it was as if... God was speaking to me. I don't know where that book came from. If you know who that book is from, you let me know because there's probably some people upset, so don't tell anybody. But there was a passage that Tozer writes, and here's what he says in the book. 
He says, if we are open to the Holy Spirit, He will lead us on the pathway, a destiny that He has in mind for us. At this point, we may not know fully what that is. We may not know where we are going, but as long as we're following the Lord, we have nothing to fear. As we let go of our past, we can get a firm grip on the future that God has for us. It's never easy saying goodbye. And that's why I'm not going to say goodbye. I'm just going to say see you later. It's quite awkward. It's quite painful. Sorrowful. I have served you here at Central for 11 years, 9 months, and 5 days. Or for those that are counting, 4,297 days. I have loved all of you. What most of you I have loved. (laughs) Just kidding. I love all of you. But I couldn't think of a better passage to preach from than the passage I'm about to share with you. Would you stand as we read God's Word in Acts chapter 20 and verse 17. Now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith and our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. For I do not account my life of any value nor precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I do not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he has obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night nor day, admonishing everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to his grace, is, which is being built up, built you up to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, Paul knelt down and prayed with them all. There was much weeping on the part of all, and they embraced Paul and kissed him being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. You may be seated. Long passage, last sermon. Paul spent, to most of my recollection and understanding, 20 years of his life plus in ministry. 
when Paul went to glory, there was a church in every major city in the Roman Empire partly due to his ministry. During Paul's missionary journey, he spent the longest amount of his ministry in the town called Ephesus, three years. As he is preparing to now leave this area, Asia Minor, and going to Jerusalem, following the direction of the Holy Spirit, he gathers the leaders of the church in a port town 20 miles south of Ephesus named Miletus to share his testimony. Paul's heart was heavy because he knew that he was probably never going to see these people again. Paul's testimony here among the Ephesians has been used for centuries as a model of what gospel ministry should look like. And for the past 12 years of my ministry here, I have aspired to live my ministry, the gospel ministry, like the Apostle Paul. And my prayer is, is that your next pastor will surpass me. But I want to say to everyone that is a believer in this room, that all of you have a gospel ministry. Everyone that is a believer has been called into ministry. It's not where, but when, and now, and not if, but where. And so what I want you to understand is that as I am sharing my heart with you this morning, as Paul shares his heart with these Ephesians, we see five characteristics of what a gospel ministry should look like. And as I'm thinking about my life, as I'm thinking about your next pastor, my prayer is, is that even in your life, that gospel ministry would look like this, that these five characteristics, that a gospel ministry should be one of consistency, humility, empathy, tenacity, and generosity. Let's look in Paul's words here. First, I want you to see, Paul says that he had a ministry that was consistent. It was consistency. Paul says that I was the same in private as I was in public. Verse 18, Paul says, you yourselves know. Everything that Paul tells these leaders is something that they personally saw in the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. They saw his work ethic. They saw his ambition. They were witnesses of ministry in their own life, many of which had come to Christ through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. They saw firsthand that Paul was authentic. He was consistent. And the one thing that they probably marveled at is that Paul continued to show up Day after day after day, the secret to life is keep showing up. Just as that great theological movie, Finding Nemo, just keep swimming, just keep showing up. Paul just keeps showing up. And so Paul here showed up day after day, preaching, teaching, serving, and loving. And here he says that you yourselves know the whole time from the very first day that I planted my foot on Asia Minor, I have not wavered in how I've lived my life. Paul's view of ministry was long obedience in the same direction. Paul was the same guy at home as he was at church. He had a consistent life. He was not trying to be one thing in front of people and another thing when no one was looking. He had a character that surpassed even his charisma. You know, in a day of mega churches, in the day of great church growth, we've seen great men and women of God fall in the ministry. We've seen great men, great pastors fall in the ministry because their charisma was greater than their character. Their, your charisma may take you to some level, but it will be your character that will keep you there. Talent gets you only so far. Character is what keeps you where God has you. And what you see in Paul's life is that he was consistent when things were good and he was consistent when things were not so good. 
You know, as we read Scripture, we tend, to, we tend to forget, at least I do, that these amazing men and women of God were human. They were sinful. They had bad hair days. They had no hair days. They didn't feel good. Just the Apostle Paul himself had tremendous health difficulties. On, on top of just the normal onslaught of daily life, and being older, and maybe his eyesight, a lot of people speculate that he was losing his eyesight. What we do know of Paul is, is that he was shipwrecked, snake bit, stoned, beat up, and left for dead multiple times. And yet he did not allow the suffering or the trials of his life to keep him from showing up. He also didn't use his flaws as an excuse to live hypocritically. The one thing that I love about the Apostle Paul is he never minimized his sinfulness. Paul, as he it, it writes to the church of Rome in Romans chapter 7, whether this is pre-convert Paul or after-convert Paul, but what we notice is that he shares the sinfulness of his human heart. And then he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, and he calls himself the foremost of sinners. In other passages, he calls himself the chief of sinners. What I love about the Apostle Paul is that he was honest. He was real. He didn't let his flaws keep him from being consistent. He was vulnerable. He was open. Here's what you need, Central, as your next, for your next pastor. You don't need a shiny, well-spoken, polished, someone that looks like that you think has a perfect life. You need somebody that's real. You need someone that's authentic, that has an authentic walk with God and that is willing to be honest from the pulpit and say, you know what? I have struggles. Because here's what you have to understand. The only difference between you and the guy preaching in the pulpit is really nothing. All of us are debtors to the grace of God. Amen. See, hypocrisy is not the gap between doing and feeling. Hypocrisy is the gap between per public persona and private character. Kevin DeYoung says that the hypocrite is not the Christian who struggles with sin, not the Christian that fights against temptation, not the Christian that keeps doing what is right even when he or she feels bad. That's what a real Christian is. The hypocrite is a Christian who uses the veneer of public virtue to cover up the rot of private vice. They're living a double life. It is using the appearance of goodness to cloak the deeds of evil. As you've witnessed me for these past almost 12 years as your pastor, I've not only been pastoring you, but I've been raising small children. If you've wondered why I've lost a lot of my hair, it's not because of you, just so you know. But one of my goals as a pastor, as a pastor dad, is to be able to preach the Bible in front of my kids without shame. My kids know my falls, flaws. They, they know my faults. They, 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 they know that when Daddy watches Kentucky, he gets a little loud. Every now and again, a, a wordy dirt may just come out. It's that old devil, it's the flesh. But they also know that Daddy knows how to apologize. That daddy knows how to admit when he's wrong. That daddy, when he's not necessarily respecting mama, will apologize to her and will seek to show a Christ-like demeanor. See, because I want my kids to look at my life and hear my sermons and say, you know what, he actually believed what he preached. Now, here's the thing. Your kids can sniff you out. You can try to fake it till you make it, and you can fool most of the people most of the time, but you can't fool your kids. 
Jen Wilkins says that it's the great liability of a teaching ministry, knowing that you will likely outteach your own ability to obey, knowing that there will be days when you will not practice what you have preached. Paul says to these Ephesians, you yourselves know, I'm not telling you something that you don't know about. You saw my whole life and you saw that I was the same person in public and private and the same person in private and public. I was consistent. Not only do we see this gospel ministry should be consistency, but also humility. He says in verse 19, I serve the Lord with all humility. Paul would say, I tried to stay low. This is the only time that I've read in all the writings of Paul that he refers himself as humble. The idea of humility is found over 200 times in the Bible. Humility is the opposite of pride. C.S. Lewis tells us humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Humility is utter dependence on the mercy of God. In our self-actualization world, the, the goal of most people is to go from a state of dependence to independence. And so you arrive as a person when you go from being dependent to being independent. And so a lot of parents, they want to teach their kids, you need to go from leaning on me to leaning on yourself. And if you do that, you're successful. Well, I want you to understand the Bible teaches something else. The Bible teaches that we need to go from a spirit of independence to a spirit of dependence on God. Humility is utter dependence on the mercy of God. It is unconcerned for power, prestige, and position, and it is unquestioned obedience to the word of God. Pride is destructive. Adrian Rogers said that pride is what made the devil the devil, and it is a great danger for those who are in leadership. Scripture says that pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before fall. There are some pastors, some church leaders that are so arrogant that they can strut sitting down. In our culture and today, we have this sense of entitlement where people feel like they're owed something. Everybody feels like I'm owed something. I'm owed respect. I'm owed this. I'm owed that. You should not look at me that way. You should not talk to me that way. I don't deserve that. C.S. Lewis says that about pride, he says that there is no fault which makes a man more unpopular than pride, and no fault which we are more unconscious of, in, unconscious of in ourselves than pride. And the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. You know, as a pastor, it's easy to start believing the kind words and encouragement your people tell you. You know, if you remember the old days, I used to wear a suit every Sunday. And I would, this was back before I knew how to dress a little more hipper. And so I had these big jackets that were like three times bigger than me, baggy pants, looked like Mimi the pup tent maker made these things, baggy coming in, coming in. And, and I would preach a message, and then I would be at the back door, because there wasn't very many of you then, and, and I would go at the back door and shake your hands and let you tell me how great of a message it was. And so there would be time after time, people would come to me and say, oh, Pastor Allen, that was the best message I've ever heard. And I said, well, what about last week? <laughs> they say, you just keep getting better. And here's the problem. You start believing that stuff. 
You become a legend in your own mind. George Whitfield, who was a great pastor, a great preacher, well known in in the early or the late mid 18th century in America during the colonial period, contemporaries with Charles Wesley, John Wesley. He was known to be basically a street preacher. He would preach into fields, and, and it's estimated by Benjamin Franklin himself that in Massachusetts that he would preach, and he would have between unamplified over twenty-five to 30,000 people listening to him. There's a story that's told, and this is a real story, that somebody came to Whitfield after a message that he preached, and they just began to gush all over Whitfield how great of a message that was, how great of a sermon that was, how wonderful a speaker that he was. And Whitfield replied, I know it. The devil told me that just as I was stepping down from the pulpit. It's easy to start believing what other people say about you. But Paul didn't. Paul saw that he was no different than anyone else, that if he was special at all, it was Christ that made the difference. And so that's why Paul treated everyone the same and was no respecter of persons. He never asked anyone to do anything that he was unwilling to do himself. He was a servant leader. He was approachable. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says to the church of Corinth, he says, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you didn't receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? Why do you think that you have all that you have? Is it because your strength, your hands, your might? No, it was God. Emma Thompson shared with me years ago. She said, preacher, stay low. Why? Was Paul so humble? Where did this humility come from? It came from the fact that he was stunned by the sheer grace of God in his life. That Paul never got over what Jesus did for him. That he saw who he was in light of who Christ is and what Christ has done. And he never got over it. He never saw that that anything was owed to him, that God didn't owe him anything. No one owed him anything. As a matter of fact, he would tell the church of Rome in Romans 1.14 that he was a debtor of grace to all men. Paul knew that the only thing that God owed him was eternity in hell. But instead, God gave him heaven at the cost of his only son. Humility is the battle we must fight for every day. Pride is taking credit for what God has done. Regardless of what you may hear today or what you may hear later on, anything that happened here that was good... God did it. And anything that happened here that was bad, the staff did it. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Consistency. I was the same in private as I was in public. Humility. I tried to stay low. Number three, some of you are getting worried. Pastor, only two verses in and you're half your sermon. What are you doing? It's my last one. Here we go. Empathy. I loved people. Verse 19, you yourselves know from the very first day till today how I've served you with humility and notice he says with tears. Verse 19, with tears. Verse 31, I did not cease day or night to admonish every one of you in tears. Paul doesn't seem like a very overly emotional person. But he did have tears when he taught people. 
He had tears of grief. He had tears of joy. He says to the Romans in Romans 12, 15, that he rejoiced with those who rejoiced and he wept with those who wept. Paul did not just come to them with some high academic intellectual sermon. He had the equivalent of a triple PhD, was an intellectual savant, and yet he spoke to them in simplicity. He shared his heart. He was real. He was raw. He was vulnerable. He was caring. He was authentic, not plastic. He struggled with them. He lived life among them. And he did not live in some ivory tower and only come down and pontificate once a week. Paul led others through relationships, not position. Paul was an apostle. And there were times that he had to use the authority that God gave him, but yet rarely did he do that. He led through his personal relationships. Jim Henry, who's the former pastor of First Baptist Church of Orlando, spoke here at this church a few years ago, and we went to lunch afterwards. And one of the things that he shared with me has left an indelible mark in my heart, and it's something that I pray that my ministry always is like. Jim Henry, he's a pastor of a huge church in First Orlando that was one of the fastest growing churches in America, said this. He said, son, pastors should smell like sheep. Sheep stink. You should hang out with your sheep. You should spend time with your sheep. You should smell like sheep. We see that in Paul's life. In verse 20, the Bible says that Paul, yes, this is in the context of his preaching ministry that he preached publicly, but he also went from house to house. He shared meals with people. He spent time with people. He learned from people. He learned about people. He showed genuine concern for people with no hidden agenda because you knew what his agenda was, to preach Christ Jesus and him crucified, risen and coming again. Paul loved people for people. And listen, if you are going to make an impact in Sanford and the surrounding communities and the nations for Jesus Christ, it must start with your love for other people. Never been ashamed of that. And any pastor who doesn't smell like sheep is not a pastor. They're an imposter because pastors smell like sheep. But here's what you have to understand, that it's hard to love people. When you and I love the least of these, though, we're loving Jesus. And one of the monikers that we've had at this church, which I pray is a moniker on every church that I ever pastor, is this thought, is that from the moment you walk on this campus to the moment that you leave, you have to understand you are loved at Central. As you read verse 37, you see that there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul. They kissed Paul. Why were they so passionate for Paul? Because they knew he loved them. People loved him because they knew he loved them. He suffered for them so that their faith could grow. What I've learned in my short life is this, is that when people know that you are genuinely for them, then they will be genuinely for you. You know, over the years, we've had highs and lows. We've had good days and bad days. We've had happy days and very sad days. We've had births and we've had deaths. I've been hurt. You've been hurt. We've walked through tragedies, car accidents, and cancer, and divorce, and and financial problems. 
We've walked together in that. We've laughed together. We've had a lot of fun together. But here's what I want you to understand. It's never wrong to love people. It's never wrong. But when you love somebody, when you love people, it makes you vulnerable for hurt. But I've found that in my short life that the risk of hurt is worth the reward of love. People will let you down. People will leave you. People will and can say and do things that leave wounds and scars for years. But the Bible says that love never fails. It never gives up. And it never runs out in Jesus. Think of all the people that Paul loved and he says it was worth it all. Gospel ministry should be one of consistency. Humility, empathy, tenacity. I preached the gospel despite the cost. Verses 19 through 23, we don't have time to read it, but if you just read these words, one thing that you understand is that Paul was a tough dude. He's now leaving this church in Ephesus where he was well-loved to go to Jerusalem where he knows that he will be put in prison and will eventually suffer dearly for the cause of Christ. But he was a gospel preacher. And despite all that was against him, he didn't back up, shut up, but he kept speaking up and showing up to share Jesus to anyone who would listen. In verse 24, he says, I do not count my life as a value nor precious to myself. And all the Ephesians elders says, we know that, Paul, because we've seen you. You've, you've mistreated your body. You, you have allowed things to happen to you for the sake of the gospel. And Paul said, you aren't kidding because my single desire, my burning desire is to do what God has called me to do. Nothing else matters and nothing else moves me. It's my friend from Iraq who has gone through grave persecution told me, if you're already wet, who cares about the rain? Paul understood that. He had gone through tough persecution. In verses 19, he talks about this plots that were against him. Paul wasn't paranoid. He had real enemies. And as a matter of fact, Paul was public enemy number one among the Jews, but that didn't stop him. But he also understood not only was there opposition on the outside, but there was some opposition even on the inside. There was some controversy on the inside. In verse 27, he says, I didn't shrink back. Paul understood and when it came to sharing the gospel and preaching, he didn't write the mail. He just delivered the mail. And so he preached the whole counsel of God. He didn't pull any punches. He preached things that were tough, things that were controversial, things that were unpopular, things that were painful, and things that were convicting. But he didn't stop. Your next pastor needs to preach the whole Bible. Not just what he found on the internet or some helpful hints from Heloise or whatever Fox News, MSNBC, or CNN says. He needs to preach, thus says the Word of God. Amen. Because the Word of God does the work of God through the power of God. And so Paul says, I'm innocent of all the blood of you all. I'm innocent of the blood of all, verse 26. Paul said, I preach the gospel. No one could ever say to Paul, you never told me about Jesus. He understood his ministry in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 8, that watchman, that the warning is that if you, that God gives is that if you know that imminent danger is coming and you don't tell the people their blood is on your hands. If you do tell the people, then the blood is on their heads. 
the question is that we need to ask ourselves is this, can you and I say that we are innocent of the blood of all? Have you and I been very clear with our family, with our neighbors, with our coworkers and our friends, the gospel of Jesus? Spurgeon said this, that if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned or unprayed for. Paul was tenacious. But he also warns these believers in verses 28 and 29. He says that there are going to be wolves that come in. There were wolves while Paul was there. Well, imagine what happens when Paul's gone. Satan always wants to destroy the work of God. And if Satan can't destroy you from the outside, he'll get you from the inside. It's not always the woodpeckers that tear down the church. It's normally the termites. There are people that will come in sounding good, but they're no good. Central, I want you to mark this down, that there will be people who will come in after me that have their own agendas that will try to draw away the people from the mission of making disciples that make disciples for their own agenda. Church, you need to watch out for them. You need to not be afraid of them, and you need to stand up against them, and they'll flee. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's picking on you and he that's in the world. Consistency. The same person in private as I am public and public and private. Humility. I stayed low. Empathy. I love people. Tenacity. I preached the gospel despite the cost. Generosity. I gave more than I took. We didn't get to go through all these verses. There's so much great wealth of information here. But verses 33 through 34, Paul is saying that I coveted no one's silver. I coveted no one's gold. I, I worked hard to help the weak. Paul here, as an apostle, as a preacher, as a pastor, could have demanded more from the church, but he didn't. Instead, he gave more than he demanded. He could have asked for them to give them a lot of things, more money, more better clothing, a better place to live, respect, stuff, but he didn't demand anything. As a matter of fact, he worked for it. Or from his own hands. Now, this text is descriptive, not prescriptive, so it's describing Paul's bivocational ministry. This, teach, this text is not teaching that all pastors should be bivocational or have a full-time job outside of the ministry. But I'll tell you, some of the greatest heroes of faith are those who have a full-time job and serve the church faithfully day in, day out. What you learn here from Paul descriptively is something that we should think through prescriptively, and that is, as he followed the words of Jesus, it is blessed, more blessed to give than to receive. That he was not greedy, he was generous. And so what Paul says, according to Jesus, if you ever read letter Bible, you see the words of Jesus in red. Jesus only spoke red. I thought that would be funnier than some of you thought. But what we learn is that Jesus says that the blessed life is to give more than you take. I've always learned that you should leave something better than you found it. Here's a good question in any relationship that you're in. Do I give more than I take? In your marriage, in your family, do I serve my spouse more than I expect to be served? Do I think about my preferences more than their preferences? 
Whose comfort or happiness am I more devoted to, theirs or mine? And then when it comes to your children, do I seek to spend more time with my kids than I do even myself? Do I look for ways to bless my children more than I look for ways to bless myself? When it comes to your career and money-making, who is the money for, yourself or others? When it comes to career, is it for yourself or the mission of God? Could it be that God has given you the career that you have and the money that you have so that you can glorify Him and bless others rather than just having others bless you? Could it be that God has placed you where you are for such a time as this to be leveraged for the Great Commission? In your relationships with other people and friendships, are my friendships about me and getting my needs met or is it about them and helping them? Here's a way that you can find some of this out. Do I talk more than I listen? Do I take more than I give in my retirement? Is my retirement about me? Is it about playing golf, collecting seashells by the seashore, laying out on the beach and sitting on my little lily pad until I croak? Or is it about the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Paul says, I gave more than I took. In relationships, it's not about keeping score. The goal is that I should give and give and give whether you give anything at all. So here's the end. How is it that Paul could have a ministry like this? Because there was one relationship in which Paul always took more than he gave. And that is his relationship with Jesus. We could go on and on in this text in so many ways, but a lot of scholars look at this text and they compare Paul with Jesus. Think about this. Both Paul and Jesus set their face towards Jerusalem. Both Paul and Jesus knew that they were dying soon. Both Paul and Jesus gave farewell speeches to their disciples. But here is where they differ. Paul went to Jerusalem with the love and companionship of his friends. Jesus was forsaken by every friend. Paul stood trial and the Holy Spirit stood by him, strengthening him. Jesus, in the greatest hour of trial, prayed to God, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And all Jesus God, in the moment of his greatest trial, was the silence of heaven. When Jesus died, he endured the curse of God for Paul's sin. When Paul died, he received the blessing of God for Jesus' obedience. See, my friends, Jesus has given you and I far more than we could ever repay him. We can never repay what Jesus has given to us and what he continues to give us despite ourselves. And by his strength, we can keep showing up with consistency day in, day out. By his strength, by his grace, we can walk in humility. By his strength, by his grace, we can love others with empathy. By his strength, by his grace, we can share the gospel with tenacity. And by his strength and by his grace, we can live generosity, live out generosity, all because of Jesus. See, Paul said he didn't value his life. Well, Jesus didn't value his life more than he valued ours. But he willingly gave his life for you and for me, making us his treasure. And in response to that, we should make him our treasure. Because what Paul wanted them to understand 
is that he was not the hero of his story. Jesus is. Jesus was. As a matter of fact, you're not the hero of your story. If you were to write an autobiography about yourself, the hero of your story, if you're saved, is Jesus. Jesus is the hero of your family. If your marriage is at all successful and your kids are all doing well, Jesus is the hero. And whatever you want to say, Jesus is the hero of your family. And this church... Jesus is not only the hero, but Jesus is the head of this church. And as long as Jesus is on the throne, this church is fine. Because for 12 years, all I've tried to do is point you to him. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how you can take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.